Check one, two. Hi, and welcome to this week's Extra Point Podcast. I'm Parker McGoldrick, talking about Ephesians 2. Um, Okay, so a few things. One, actually, interestingly, Ephesians 2, the passage that Todd so lovingly gave me, uh, the passage that we, we talked about on Sunday is actually the most debated passage in all of Ephesians because it has some pretty interesting translation um, difficulties. Half of the translations in verse 15 specifically say that uh, Jesus abolished the law. The other half of the translations say that Jesus abolished hostility, which is the law. Okay, and it's pretty nuanced. So the first is some translation might say Jesus abolished the law. Again, others might say Jesus abolished the hostility that was brought about by the law. And pretty nuanced, but actually very, very important. And here's why. So whenever, again, remember that whenever Paul is writing and he uses words like law, circumcision, commandments, um, ordinances, he's importing the entire story of the Old Testament, right? And in the story of the Old Testament, the law was originally supposed to be good, it, it was a good thing. It was a beautiful thing. Read all of the Psalms, basically. Read um, Deuteronomy, right? Where it's supposed to be a good thing. And Paul even says this in Romans, uh, elsewhere in the scriptures. He says that the law was good, but sin took advantage of the law, and that resulted in hostility. Okay, so the law would say something like, do not covet. That's a good thing. It's a blessing. Um, the law uh, had all the men circumcised. It's a good thing. It's a blessing, as we talked about on Sunday. But what sin did is it actually caused and resulted in hostility. So the law said, do not covet a good thing. It's supposed to keep you loyal to um, your spouse. It's supposed to keep you loyal to the and, and thankful for the blessings that God gave you rather than looking at your neighbor's donkey or um, your neighbor's wife or, or whatever, right? It says, do not covet. And Paul says in Romans that through the sin took advantage of that, and then through that, actually, I coveted, uh, you know, uh, to all the more, right? Uh, sin took advantage of that law, do not covet, and the law in general, and it made us hostile towards God and hostile towards each other. We ended up coveting even more because of what sin did. So for Paul to say that the law is abolished would not make sense for a few reasons. One, Paul all over the all over his letters, he always talks about the law with such um, beauty. He he loves it. He was a Jew himself, right? He's not saying I'm abolishing it. He's saying that it brought about hostility, right? And second, uh, Jesus himself said, "I did not come to abolish the law to get rid of it uh, to be done away with it. Rather, I came to fulfill the law." And so, Paul is not saying that we need to abolish the law. That Christ abolished the law. The result of that would be, Jews, you need to stop being Jewish. You need to, you know, whatever, reverse circumcise. You need to stop um, eating this way. You need, to, you need to stop doing that. No, what he's saying is that the law brought about hostility, and that is what is abolished. So you can keep being Jewish, but just don't count your Jewishness as you being a better Christian or a a first-tier Christian, as we talked about on Sunday, Right. And in the same way, he doesn't require the Gentiles to be circumcised. Uh, he's saying, like, don't don't count this as your, you know, first two. Don't, basically, all of these things that are supposed to be good, don't use them as a way to elevate yourself and uh, minimize or depreciate or make outcasts of the other. And the result of this, it says in verse um, 16, is that... Um, 
or sorry, verse 15, is that he says, you know, the, the result of this is that one new man might be created. He might create in his flesh one new man. And this is also important because what this doesn't mean is this like third race. There's this very um, popular theology out there about the third race, that in Christ now all of our differences are done away with completely, and there's this new human that is completely other than and different than. Yes, there is that, but it's not that all of our differences are done away with, right? Uh, in other letters, Paul says, here there is not uh, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, and Galatians, he adds male and female, but all are one in Christ. That's true. That's important. But what he doesn't say is that there's no longer male and female at all, we're some, you know, odd gender persons. He doesn't say there's no Jew-Gentile distinction at all. There's no, uh, at the times, slave-free distinction at all. No, he's not saying to be done away with our differences. He's saying that rather, in our differences, true unity and true being in Christ is the two becoming one. It's the Gentiles being grafted in now, as he says in Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, being grafted in with the Jews as God's people. It's the slave and the free being able to sit down at the same table, still being slave and free, but being able to sit down at the same table because of a selfless, peaceful community that Jesus creates. It's the male and the female, still being male and female, being able to not use their their gender as a, 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 a weapon or as Bringing, bringing about hostility, but rather to mutually edify each other, right? Paul later says in Ephesians 5, he talks about marriage. The two are becoming one. It's a mystery. It's a great mystery. I don't know how to explain it, Paul says, right? But he's referring to Christ and the church. When the two become one in Genesis and in Ephesians and in uh, elsewhere, in, in basically in marriage, you don't lose the husband and you don't lose the wife. Rather, you are now this, this new... Um, this new being, you are one. But it's not a new being in that all your differences are done away with. Again, it's rather unity. And this is basically, if you want to sum up everything I've said, it is this, unity is not uniformity, right? Uniformity is uh, monochromatic, um, everybody is the exact same, right? I think of like some like utopian or like stormtroopers. I don't know if any Star Wars fans out there or like some like utopian, like world conquering um, uh, nation where all they want is for everybody to look the same, act the same, think the same, vote, vote the same, all of these things. That That's not unity. That's just power. That's just, you know, control and uh, uniformity. True unity is when there are differences, but despite those differences, they come together for one common goal. True unity is, uh, Paul says in the marriage relationship, the male and the female becoming one. True unity is, in Ephesians 3, the Jew and the Gentile having hostility killed and becoming one in Christ. True unity is having people who, and having people who are different than you, who look different than you, who act different than you, who vote differently than you, who live differently than you, true unity is all of those different camps actually becoming one. It is not everybody needs to be the same, act the same, look the same, right? We think, I'm sure you guys who are listening are thinking of today's culture where we are uh, trying to 
depreciate the value of differences because it could be offensive. And while that is dangerous, and that is true, it's also true in our own hearts and our own lives, right? And um, again, as we talked about on Sunday, let, I want to set down the mirrors that we used to deflect blame to those outside. And rather, I want us to think about how have we perhaps actually created hostility with those people who don't think like us, look like us, act like us, vote like us, but are in Christ, right? Because in Christ, it is not uniformity, rather it is unity, it is not everybody's the exact same on every little thing ever. It is every tribe, tongue, nation, opinion coming together and despite their differences, lifting up the name of Jesus and saying, I now have peace with God and peace with man. Because it's easy to have peace with the person who is literally just you, right? It's so easy to be a friend with somebody who you really like to get along. It's super easy to get along with. It's much harder to get along with people and to create peace with people who we, we don't like, who aren't like us, who we don't understand why they think the things they do, why they say the things they do, anything like that. But in Christ, here's what it is. In Christ, it is not that the differences are killed. It is that the hostility is killed. There's one new man in Christ. Paul says later, he brings it up in Corinthians and also here that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as teachers, some as evangelists. Our differences make up the body of Christ. If it was uniformity, we would all just be a giant nose, right? Or a hand or whatever, you know, anything else that the church could be. But rather the church is the body. There is diversity in that. And true unity is when there are differing opinions, differing lifestyles, differing classes, different whatever, but coming together in Christ. And that's why it's important that we interpret Ephesians 2 that way, that Christ on the cross killed hostility. Hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, hope that you guys have been able to meditate a little more on Ephesians 2. It's a great book. I know the more I read it, the more I get from it. Um, so peace and blessings. We will see you when we see you.